0: Fan, best friends in Bullish Nights, and welcome to the 25th episode of Murders with Mertens. I am your host, Joe, and this is a podcast about horror, super meta slashers, dark comedies, body horror, the horror adjacent, thrillers, the psychologically terrifying, scary films in general. Each episode, I sit down with a guest and discuss one of their favorite scary films so that we can gush about everything that makes it just so damned cool. Viewers, thank you for tuning in. Also, non-visual viewers yeah thank you for checking the podcast out on audio services around the world or podcast services rather well audio services probably too yeah that counts um but yeah thanks um i can see the map there are people everywhere it's interesting but thank you uh it's much appreciated uh if you're so inclined make sure to you know Drop a sub on YouTube. Give me a follow on your podcast service. If you can leave a rating, five stars is always appreciated. Helps get the word out. Um, You know, on YouTube, leaving a comment, leaving a like, always like that as well. Uh, Again, if you are so inclined, don't want to push you, but it's appreciated. Uh, So I don't want to drag any more housekeeping out any longer. But that said, this is part two of a five-part series leading into Scream 6 in March. So join us for a new guest every week. And uh, we're going to have some fun times here. And speaking of fun times and a new guest, I'd like to introduce the return of Keegan Hill. The one, the only Keegan Hill. Thanks for coming back on. Thank you for having me back. Yeah. Well, we had a fun time with X. Uh, That was good. I knew we'd get you back. um, But... Tonight's little episode is about ninety-seven Scream Two, directed again by Wes Craven, written again by Kevin Williamson, with music not entirely this time again by Marco Beltrami, because we've got some Danny Elfman and some Hans Zimmer in there for good measure. Uh, Keegan, you chose Scream Two as your episode. Tell me why. Um,
1: so I watched Scream, um, the Scream franchise, or What we call them Uh, for the first time back when kind of funny we're doing their in review in the lead to uh, five cream also known as scream five
2: um sometimes even scream
1: yeah um and i'd always wanted to watch them um i'd always seen like the opening of the first one which is probably one of the most iconic openings of any horror film um so i finally watched the series and i'm probably in the minority of this was my favorite one out of all of them um really um yeah um i don't think there's many other people that thought the same way but i'm just a sucker for kind of what this one does um with it being kind of a university frat kind of and then it's got the drama side of the the drama school element and what they do Mm -hmm. with that at the end um but before i know you decided to do the kind of lead into screen scream um six i already brought this up um and yep this has been
0: on the books for a while so this this yeah this
1: worked out really well um um yeah, and I'm interested to see what they do with Scream Six when it comes, but considering it's not got Nev Campbell or obviously David Arquette in it. Um so we'll see. But yeah, um, yeah, this uh. one does and uh, that, trio <laughs> is, that trio is that trio's probably the some of the, the best um comedy and banter that especially um Courtney Cox and David Arquette they just
0: yeah it's on the screen on screen together they're just so good yep yep the chemistry is absolutely there I mean clearly they were married and then not married and even all these years later in other sequels they're still great together um, yeah yeah uh, that's one of the charming things about this one Keegan I'm gonna put you on the spot uh, your scream ranking go uh, so I'll go worst to
1: first. Um, okay. So my least favorite was Scream 4. Um, so that oh, really? was kind of when they did the, there wasn't a reboot, but it was like kind of, they brought it back after like Scream 3, which was, I don't know. About 10 years, give or take. Yeah. So about 10 years, they kind of brought it back. Kind of what they did with Halloween where they kind of, yeah, they just brought they did another one, and I just wasn't a fan of it. Um, I know they tried to do kind of the modern take with it. Um, And
3: I love um, what's her name? um, Kirby? Who turns it? Not Kirby.
1: um, Emma.
3: Oh, um.
1: She's in American Horror Story. Yeah. A bunch of things emma roberts yeah. i i love her in american horror story i love her in a bunch of stuff Um so i was pretty excited about that one but i just i just didn't love it as much as the other ones and i think it because the older ones have that kind of they're just the way they are kind of mm-hmm. that 90s early 2000s feel Um so my least favorite was stream 4 although i do want to go back and watch them because from some things about the one we're doing now have changed
0: yeah um, um so I do I'll, want
1: to do a full rewatch.
0: I'll tell you, Scream 4 for me, the first viewing, didn't really care for it. Multiple sec um, you know, subsequent viewings of it. Um, I'll tell you, it it's grown on me to be pretty high on the list, ultimately. Um, I, I just think it's uh I don't know, it's also Wes Craven's final film, but uh before he died, but uh yeah, it's uh I'm shocked to hear it's so low. So maybe it's only because you've seen it the one time. I don't know. That's how it could I feel that. about, that's how I feel about Step Brothers. I hated it when I saw it for the very first time, but boy did that movie grow on me. Yeah, I just I just found it a bit boring. Um but again a, a rewatch is very
1: much welcome. Um and then I would say Scream Three next. Um which I know is the one that it's bad, but it's so bad. It's it's not. I it's mean, camp. It's yeah, and <laughs> it is just. It doesn't take itself seriously at all, um, and it is so oh. bad that, marks, <laughs> it's so bad that inverted marks. There, it's so bad that that you just have to kind of roll with it. And there's just by the end of it, it's like okay, this was just so much fun.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's um that one. Yeah. It's
0: I I think uh I've got it basically at the same ranking as you. <laughs> but uh going on from there, what's your number 3?
3: Uh so
1: number 3 or maybe actually I think I missed I forgot about number um 5. So I think I might have put in 5 next after 4 oh because i remember i I don't think i have a written down so i think it might be five and then three um so we'll talk about five anyway but um Mm. five i thought was good um
3: it was interesting kind of
1: what they did with some of the the bigger cast members like uh is it dylan minuet um and stuff, and his is it. Mum is she? Cause mm-hmm. is it her? His mother is the officer from four. Yes. Yeah, because this this is the one where they bring all the kids in, isn't it? Yeah. Or they're yeah, like kind, kind of, of like, like young...
0: a new generation of uh, Woodsboro survivors. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, and I thought that one was good. Again, this one really takes advantage of like, um, kind of the internet and things like that, and. Mm-hmm. They try to they try well, make it a lot more
0: modern. You know, I, I, I'll say it till the cows come home. It's one of those things where this series is always like the
2: perfect, like the perfect, each, each part of the series is its own little, like microcosm of technology and where it's
0: at, at the time that the movie mm-hmm. comes out. Uh, and that's really one of its strengths. You know, a lot of people talk about technology and horror movies and how, uh, certain things don't exactly hold up all sorts of years later. Like, you know, people gripe about the ring and it's like, Oh God, it's VHS. And, you know, just that it's just, it feels crazy dated and, you know, the cheesy old cell phones and all that. And it just, you couldn't really do that story today necessarily. I mean, they've tried with modernizing it and it didn't exactly work, but, um, but, um, yeah, I feel like scream always feels relatively fresh where that kind of stuff is concerned.
1: Yeah. I think they always pull in kind of, what has evolved from the last movie kind of mm-hmm. especially this one where they do um with the most recent one? It's there's a lot of kind of youtubery type vlogging in it, and it's it it's funny to watch.
2: So up from Three and five, kind of vying for uh, you know number
0: four and number th- three they're respectively. Probably,
1: I mean, all the bottom three are probably interchangeable at some point. <laughs> I don't think. I, again, I've only watched them all once, so again, my opinions completely change. Like it has slightly on two, um, so my yeah, my second spot would go to the original
3: because, um, it just is. it's so
1: obviously what started everything. Um, mm-hmm. got
0: to show and, it some love. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And obviously, um, Matthew Lillard and, um, Oh, he's unhinged. It's great. Oh, he's so good <laughs> in it. Um, especially when you compare him from that to Scooby-Doo, it's just like, <laughs> how is this the same actor?
0: Um, zoinks indeed. Yeah. <laughs>
3: um, Yeah, and obviously, I didn't.
1: I hadn't seen it before from like the first time I watched it. And they toy so much with like, is it Billy? Is it not? Is it? And it's like, oh, it's like, oh, it's too obvious to be him. (laughs) And then when it turns out it is him, it's like, but then obviously, they drop that kind of because it's the first one. It's like they start setting up the rules of like, oh, well, there's actually usually two killers. So then they bring in Matthew Lillard and. It just that whole final section is just, it's kind of like just iconic. And they have the Halloween on the background as well. Is it Halloween they have on? Yeah. Yeah. yeah and it's kind
2: I, of I love paying it. Paying homage
1: <laughs> to like horror. But it's also very goofy. Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah. So, of course, that means the Scream 2
0: is your number one. Um, and yeah i mean we've talked briefly about that the theater aspect and uh just the you know whole college atmosphere uh all of that it's that does make this um an interesting watch um so this came out my freshman year of college uh my friends and i you know from high school uh and my uh high school girlfriend um we we were all massive fans of Scream. We were super excited about Scream 2. So I, I think this was out around the time we would all be back home for Christmas break. Um, and so I I I'm sure we all went and saw it. And at some point around then, we all decided it would be a fun laugh to prank my high school girlfriend who lived in a farmhouse way out in the sticks and so we did uh we had uh, one friend in the whole ghost face get up another one uh taped up to a chair in a letterman's jacket uh we had bodies hanging out of cars and using her mother's cell phone
2: we used that to call the house and mess with her and get her to come outside. We are
0: all going to hell. Evil. (laughs) We're all going to hell. It's Oh God. In retrospect, it was horribly evil. And it's the kind of thing that, you know, 18, 19 year olds, um, you know, think is funny. Um, Especially back in 97. Um, you know, now you think about doing something like that and you're like, okay, somebody's either getting shot or arrested, um, or something really, really, you know, even worse could happen trying to mess with something like that. But, uh, yeah, yeah, we're all going to hell, Keegan. Um, <laughs> I'll save you a seat. Um, but yeah, uh, I guess that's, uh, why I, maybe I didn't bring it up in the last episode, just be, even though it, what we did ties in more perfectly with that plot. But, uh, yeah, it just, the fact that all of this was happening right around the time this movie came out and I think we all enjoyed this movie quite a bit when we saw it. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah we, we, we were bad kids at that time, I guess. Now we weren't that bad. But, um, yeah, what do you say we, uh, jump into this thing? Um, Scream 2, uh, we kick right off with, uh, you know, the movie theater and, you know, uh, it's chaos, absolute chaos. It is a, uh, premiere of the movie Stab, which is based on Gail Weathers' book, The Woodsboro Murders. Um... And everybody and their brothers going to see it, and nobody's going down the street to watch this Andrew Bullock movie, right? Um, Which I mean, movie could they be teasing? Possibly, 90- possibly Speed Two. I don't know. It's it's ninety seven. This
1: is yeah. If this is taking place in nineteen ninety seven, because I was I couldn't think of like what could this be? Or is this just like a off the cuff? Or she was relevant at the time, so maybe they just like
0: yeah,
1: Andrew Bullock.
0: Yeah, I think um, you know, at the time she was famous for, you know, like doofy rom coms and, you know, stuff like that. So I think that that could be it. Um, you know, we've got uh Omar Epps and Jada Pinkett are about to get done dirty here. I'm just gonna come out and say it because it's one of the things that maybe doesn't necessarily hold up so well. Uh, you know, 25, 26 years later here, but we've got uh, two Windsor college seniors, Marine Evans and Phil Stevens. They're attending this sneak peek. They're in line. Um, you know, they're talking about, you know, she doesn't want to be there because she doesn't like horror movies. And when he's asking why it's because, you know, black folks don't fare well in horror films. And, you know, she hates the trope. It's tired. And she's right. It is tired. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they kind of banter back and forth. He offers to go take her to, you know, the Sandra Bullock movie. And, uh, you know, because, uh, of course, you know, she's missing, Miss, en- miss en- What does he say? She's miss e- ethnicity. Um, you know, being that, yeah, her movie is probably going to be a bunch of white folks, uh, doing rom-com stuff as opposed to a bunch of white folks getting cut the fuck up as she says in horror films. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they go inside, they get uh their free souvenir uh screen or uh, ghost faced costumes. um it's i you know there's a long history of like movie premieres handing out uh little souvenir shit, and I remember some of this stuff from the late nineties too, so I suppose that's plausible. um I remember at the time, maybe that same year they were doing the uh, special editions of the original Star Wars trilogy. And if you went to the right theater, you were getting, um, a Luke Skywalker action figure as you went in, which was cool, you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, nothing as elaborate as a ghost faced costume. Um, so, uh, yeah, they, they go to enter the theater and again, absolute chaos everybody's in their costumes, they're chasing each other up and down the aisles, popcorn's flying, everybody's screaming. And the movie's actually starting while all of this is happening. And by the way, it's all set to red right hand because you gotta have that callback. That is like the unofficial theme song of the Scream series, right? Um, I don't know, when you saw this for the very first time, Keegan, uh, what was your take on this theater scene? Cause it's nuts.
1: um it's it's crazy like i mean i've not i'm not old enough to have been to like many kind of midnight premieres or kind of even this type of things but i went to a midnight showing and i was like i couldn't imagine something like this um everyone just seems like they're absolutely like i mean like coked up on something cuz they're just <laughs> like they're just out of their absolute minds. Like not one person is just sitting there. Like everyone is just off their heads yeah. and like
0: pretend stopping each other. And, and, and like, is it fandom over the book over the news stories that came out of these it, killings? Or are they just like all major horror fans in general?
1: Are they I, I all don't just know. like psychopaths? That are I yes. Like...
2: And then like Oh um, man.
1: And the couple, uh, the couple that we're focusing on, it's just like, Uh they're just sitting there. They're the quietest like in there. And they're just like, kind of, she's just had enough. She's like, she doesn't want to be here.
0: No, no, not at all. But she's doing this for her boyfriend because he's all hyped up to see this movie. Um, yeah i also uh i love how red right hand in this it's um you know being played as diegetic sound because um it's like the opening song of stab uh it's love it love it this it's like over the top meta and they 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 do crank that up to 11 in this movie don't they Uh, Let's see here. The the film gets right into it with uh, Heather Graham this time playing Casey. Um, And it's kind of a heightened look at the Casey Becker house from the first movie. It looks like it's, a house in Hollywood as opposed to whatever the small town in California was, Woodsboro. Um but she's of course about to take a shower when she's harassed by sta- um uh, the stab version of Ghostface. Um and uh Jada Pinkett's character um you know calls that out the fact you know why she gotta be naked. Um, you know, cause of course that's a standard horror trope, right? It's, you know, the vulnerability of being naked when being attacked by a killer. Right. Um, but everybody's like, you know, wolf whistling at the screen there because of, uh, her disrobing and everybody, uh, you know, lets out these, uh, moans and booze when she picks her robe back up when the phone rings. Um, so <laughs> Jade is irritated by all this and she takes some of Omar Epps money to go buy popcorn because she's like, okay, if I'm going to sit here, I'm at least going to try to enjoy myself. And, you know, she walks out of the theater and, um, the people in line behind her kind of remind the audience that, oh yes, this is a film that's based on true events. Um, which I think is making, um, Marine Jada, I, I keep referring to people by their actors' names. It's a bad habit of mine. But, uh, you know, I think it's making her even more um, uneasy about seeing this film as she's listening to this. Um, and then she's about to head back in. We get um, Phil popping out of nowhere, wearing the free mask and scaring the shit out of her. Uh, and they have a tender little moment um but he's got to you know go hit the head um and she goes to head back into the theater on her own. Um of course the um thing you never want to do in a scary movie is split up, right? Um but she finds her way back to her seat and he goes off to the restroom. Um and we're still getting, you know, familiar scenes from the beginning of uh a Scream uh, played out in stab throughout all of this. It's just cutting back and forth throughout all of this. Um, I the love when he walks. That I... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say the one thing I like about the, the stab movie is that
1: they don't have it like shot for shot. Like the first film It's kind of loosely different, which until is... they do. <laughs> yeah. Until uh... they do. Um, but they start off kind of, it's loosely different where, if you were seeing like some sort of, I mean, it's based on a book that she wrote and she wasn't there for any of that. Right. So it's like, and it's that's like, the
0: funny bit later when they get some of those scenes, that are almost word for word, the same as the original film. Um, they will we'll get there, but yeah, I, I do appreciate that. It's a little bit different, just a little bit off. Um, as it should be, right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they we, we get um Phil entering the restroom and there's that fun shot of the uh two guys at the urinals uh in their uh ghost face costumes that both turn around to stare at him.
2: Um <laughs> that's that's kind of uneasy an feeling. And uh and you know, he decides to, you know, just go hit the
0: stall because he's not gonna wait for them.
1: But But it doesn't close
0: the door. No, that's, (sighs) I, I, you know, if if you're just going to stand up and pee, I guess it's not too bad, but it's also,
2: I don't know. It's, it's a little weird that he doesn't close the door, but I, I understand, but also it's just
0: one more instance where somebody's going to walk in on you because they're coming from the side or something. So close the door. Um, but then it also kind of it's, it subverts
1: your expectations where you think you could think, oh, someone can come mm-hmm. behind you obviously what actually happens
0: right cuz he hears this um you know kind of childlike whimpering and uh muttering coming from the next stall and he, he finds it a little funny so he decides he's going to you know put his uh ear up to the uh divider there to listen in and um yeah yeah that's when uh, ghostface knifes him through the divider that's how strong is ghostface <laughs> i know and i'm sure they're just like particle board or something but um i don't know i feel like those things are you know maybe plywood at least but yeah it's funny because ghostface is often alternatively super you know like superhuman strength but Totally clumsy and easily beaten up by certain situations throughout these movies. It, it, I think he's just strong when the story needs him to be strong. Um, but yeah, uh, Phil's knifed in the head, and Ghostface comes out and finishes the job. And uh, <clears throat> let's see here. Uh, then we cut back to Marine. Sitting there watching the movie, and she's kind of getting into it just a little bit um you know on screen we've got um Casey getting chased by ghostface um you know everything's kind of coming to a head uh and ghostface wearing Phil's jacket sits down next to her, and she's like, Oh, you made it just in time. she's about to get it. she says, <laughs> and when something scary happens on screen she turns into his shoulder and it's at this moment where she notices that he's not reacting to her like Phil normally would. And that his jacket's covered in blood. Uh, and then he just straight up stabs her in the gut. Oh, cause <laughs> I
1: think she hugs into him
0: yeah. and she finds the blood on her,
1: his yeah. hands or her hands.
0: Yep. Yep, and she's like, "Oh, something's not right here." And yeah, he just quickly turns, stabs her in the gut, and she tries to get away. He follows, knifes her a couple more times, and the audience sees all this, and they're getting into it. And then she also, calls- what- <laughs> one thing I noticed is when he has the knife in
1: the like in the movie stab, mm-hmm. and he stabs her, and it doesn't even look like it goes into her. It looks like there's like a tiny expendable part of the knife that kind of just goes in. <laughs> it just looks so bad, but I think it's like, is
0: this on purpose or just it's, it's probably just bad editing with a prop knife. Um, but you know, cause I know in, uh, years later in, uh, subsequent sequels, they use CG knives just so that they can make it look more realistic. Um, and not, potentially harm somebody. Um, but yeah, this is where she climbs up on stage and, you know, she's bleeding out and crying out for help. And everybody just thinks that this is, uh, some kind of a stunt, you know, along with everything else that they've been doing in this theater. Cause you know, they had a ghost face dummy on a wire flying above the crowd and everything else. And then she just collapses on stage and dies. Um, so horribly paying into the trope of, you know, the black folks being the first people to die in this movie.
2: Yeah.
0: I, I get the meta nature of it, but let's, let's be done with this. And I get also that it's, you know, 25, 26 years ago. So I, I suppose it
2: could be excused. I don't want to excuse it. <laughs> I'm just done with it. And to that, to that end, I, I'm glad
0: about another character later on in this film. So yeah, we'll get there with that. But yeah, uh, so she basically just dies uh, after uh, becoming the trope she was bemoaning ten minutes ago, and then we get the title card of Scream Two, um, where Sid is awoken by a prank call from a ghostface wannabe, but she nails his ass with her caller ID. I love I re- this. Yeah, I remember those caller IDs before it was the kind of thing you could get built into a phone. Um, it was a separate device that you had to have plugged into your landline. Uh, it's just nuts to me that that's where we were 25 years ago. Um, but yeah, 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 we had one of those <laughs> uh, along with an answering machine. Yeah. Yeah. Cause people didn't really have voicemail. Um, god i'm old um so yes she nails his ass by uh reading his number and his name off to him and letting him know that uh prank calls are uh, you know a crime blah 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 and he just hangs up on her but she's over it she just gets up she finds it funny at this point she you know constantly gets harassed by these people but she's able to turn the tables um roommate Hallie stops in she shows uh concern about the call you know do we need to call the police and you know, it's, it's fucking over she's like it's fine it's the movie brings him out of the woodwork it, it is what it is um but uh <clears throat> they turn on the tv there's cotton on a talk show or something talking about trying to get over everything in uh his interview
1: interview by kevin williams
0: oh no you're absolutely right i i knew he looked familiar you're absolutely right i didn't Um, realize
1: i didn't know what he looks like but it was when i was like like looking at who the cast was mm -hmm. and i was like kevin Williams and it's like a cotton weary interviewer and i was like oh really that's because he obviously put himself in the movie.
2: Yeah. Well, it's fun. Um, you
0: know, Wes Craven likes to do that stuff. A lot of directors like to do that stuff. Why not the screenwriter? That's cool. Um, So, yeah, Sid doesn't like having to watch this shit because, you know, she feels bad, but also she just wants to kind of get over things. Um, And they she goes to head off to the bathroom to get cleaned up for class. And that's when... Um, Oh, uh, even before this, Hallie's uh, trying to get Sid to go to a sorority mixer that evening with her, and Sid doesn't want to do this. It's not her scene. She just, you know, wants to do theater shit and hang out with her friends, but Hallie convinces her to go for, you know, just a, an appearance, uh, and that's where a random girl comes uh, flying down the hall telling them to check out the news. And that's where we find out about the murder of murders of Marine and Phil the evening prior. And the girls are like, where's Randy? Um, And Sid takes off to go find him. uh, And everybody in the dorm is staring at her as she's walking through. And then she steps outside and she's got reporters pestering her. um, And we cut to Randy's film class uh, where Buffy and Pacey are arguing about, um, you know, sequels. Are they the ones that bring up the sequel conversation? I think so. But yeah, Joshua Jackson and, um, um, fucking Buffy, Sarah Michelle Geller. Uh, you know, the, Dawson's Creek was just about to get going around this time. And Buffy was probably in its second season, um, they were just about to hit the big time here. And that's fun because they're, you know, both Coven Williamson people. She was in I Know What You Did Last Summer. Uh, I think just is, the summer prior.
1: Is Portrait de Rossi in this scene as well? Or is she, is she coming uh, later?
0: She's just one of the sorority sisters with um, Rebecca Gayhart. Um, okay. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and we're also in this scene introduced to um, Mickey, played by Timothy Oliphant. Um, and they talk about, you know, sequels being inferior. Um, but then the discussion moves on to, you know, sequels that were superior to their original films. And they bring up two James Cameron films, Aliens and uh, Terminator 2, of course. And Pretty they
1: apt. Oh, With yeah. With a James Cameron sequel coming out. Two months ago or less than two months ago.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, And they even
0: bring up Linda Hamilton later in the film too. Um, But uh, <clears throat> then the conversation finally ends with um, the Godfather part two as a film that everyone can agree on in the class, at least superior to the original. I mean, I think it's better than the original too, but I'm just saying there's, there's, you know people can make an argument that the original is better, but, uh, certainly both are better than the third. Um, uh, most people agree on that third one's awful, but yeah, there's all this fun back and forth. Randy's being Randy. Um, he's got fun banter with, uh, Mickey, um, and there's sit at the door. Randy knows something's up. Um, probably because he saw the news as well, but, um, So they take off, uh, they're discussing, you know, the killings. Um, Randy doesn't want to believe that they have anything to do with them. Um, he's trying to get on with his life. Obviously he still holds a bit of a torch for Sid because he's irritated by the introduction of Derek here. Uh, Jerry O'Connell's character who, uh, is Sydney's new boyfriend. Um, you know, he's got his whole get a room comment as they, uh, kiss just very chastely actually, but obviously still not over her. Um, and right about here is where Gail and the other news media, uh, including local, local journalist, Debbie salt, uh, descend on Windsor college. Um, we're introduced to Gail's, uh, new cameraman, Joel, um, salt is a pain in the ass right from the beginning and Gail just dismisses her outright. Um, and you know, the, the kids are all watching all of this happen from a bit of a distance, but the police are about to have a press conference on, uh, I think it's the stairs of the precinct or something like that. Um, and Gail just takes point as like lead reporter who's there. She's got her new cameraman and she's like snapping her fingers, directing his, uh, uh, his shots and everything else. Um, and,
2: um, is the police chief David Arquette's father, the actor, uh, I think he may be.
1: He is. Um, cause when I, again, was looking at the, the cast and it's something Arquette and I was like, who is that character? And it's, yeah, I think it's the one when they're in the police station as the older guy that's mm-hmm. like, is he, inter- who's he in? I think I remember who he's interviewing. Um, yeah, yeah he's definitely, yeah. I think he's in it.
2: Okay. Um, and then,
0: uh, here's where we get the girls from the sorority that Hallie is pledging. They swing by and they irritate the gang. Of course, they're more interested in Sydney than they are in Hallie because Sydney's famous and that's why they'd like her, uh, in their, uh, house. But, uh, yeah they get commitments from the girls to attend the mixer that evening um, when they
1: first walk up, it's just it gives me such mean girls, vibes oh
0: yeah, yeah, well, I mean, they're like the leaders of this sorority, so of course they're mean girls um but uh yeah, yeah, i, I can barely recognize Portia uh just because of how young she is in this movie, um. But, uh, and I think Rebecca Gayhart was famous from all these, uh, skincare commercials that she was in leading up until her becoming an actual actress. Um, so I think that was kind of a get for them at the time. And this is where Sid spots Dewey just kind of doing the, the John Travolta gif. Of you know, a little confusion and looking around. Uh, you know the one. Um, and we are introduced to Dewey's theme, which is not actually Dewey's theme. It's actually Hans Zimmer's piece from Broken Arrow, a John Woo action film that he scored like I think that same year or the year before, something like that. Um I I I guess this piece of music scored better with test audiences, so they just decided to keep it in <laughs> it's great because they use it going forward for the rest of the series it's a good theme but
2: uh just funny how all that plays out um everybody's He's just such the puppy dog
1: type oh, character, yeah. especially in like the older ones and then and the, also in the newer one um not so much but definitely in the mm. older ones he just he seems like such this kind of innocent kind of
0: yeah, lovable doof. Like, um, and he's there because, you know, he's concerned about Sydney. I, I I love that this is supposed to be taking place in Ohio and the murders happened the evening prior,
2: and he's there that morning to check in on Sid. That's That's uh wow. Okay. So maybe that was on the news. And I, I,
0: I know back then you probably wouldn't have Google alerts, but uh, yeah, somehow he found out about this because it made national news and he caught a red eye or something, but he's there um, and they have a little uh, reunion with everybody, but um, yeah, his concern rubs Sid kind of the wrong way. She appreciates him, but you know, he's, he's going to go run off and talk to the police chief, um, and, you know, get the four one one on, uh, their investigation. Um, and then, um, Gail and her new cameraman, uh, Joel, um, they try to stage this ham fisted interview slash confrontation between cotton and Sid. Uh, and it does not go well. um, Sid gives Gail a pretty nasty backhand to the face. Uh, and good thing she wasn't wearing any rings or anything. Cause that wouldn't be super nice. Um, Cotton didn't know that this was being sprung on Sid and um, nobody cares. Nobody cares. Sid's pissed as hell. Gail's like, you know, to everybody basically get the fuck together. Um, she's, not only is her hair like extra dark and almost evil looking in this film, but also her makeup. It's just like over the top. This is Dark Gale. Um, and her personality definitely matches with all of that in this film. Um, I, I feel like she became tougher in the couple of years since the prior, you know, the events of the prior film, because I think there's been a bit of a time jump in this. Um, think it's two years. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and something has just made her even nastier. Um, ah, but I, I think it's effective. I like it. Um, but uh, Gail runs into Dewey now, and she's happy to see him, but he's pissed about the way he was portrayed in her book. Uh, he storms off but of course he pays her a compliment before he does. He's like nice streaks about her hair. Um,
1: I was just going to say those streaks in her hair. I was like, I don't remember having those, but
0: they don't look terrible, but no, it's, it's very much late nineties. It's, you know, everything like we talked about is very much of a specific time with these movies. Um, That's okay because it's a long running series. It should be. Um, but yeah, he pays her that compliment. And then we move on to that evening where, uh, Sydney and Hallie are attending that party at the sorority house. And, um, yeah, I I will say there was a time where Dave Matthews band was all you heard on college campuses. So it was very fitting that that was there for the beginning of this party. Um, and Hallie's defending Greek life to Sid. Sid says she's fine. Uh, the budding therapist and Hallie dissects that just a little bit. Um, and meanwhile, at a nearby sorority house, we get Cece Cooper getting a phone call from Ghostface. Um, this is fun. Sarah Michelle Geller is great in this. I love the back and forward of like, she's speaking to her friend and then she gets the call
1: and then she yeah, the speaks call to waiting. Ghostface yeah. and then she goes back to her friend and it's like oh it's her boyfriend or whatever he's drunk and it's like back to ghostface <laughs> it's just like he keeps putting ghostface on hold and it's just uh uh-huh. and,
0: and we know it's not the same ghostface as you know the previous movie of course but uh the, the prior ghostface probably would have been extra pissed about all that um but uh yeah i I do enjoy that back and forth. uh, she's really holding her own with him throughout a lot of this conversation. She's got you know Sarah Michelle Geller had good acting chops it's uh you know a shame that she doesn't do a whole lot, you know acting wise any longer, but uh yeah she she was a moment back then um, what was the last thing she was in probably clerk's three. <laughs> <laughs> she was one of the people auditioning for the film <laughs> along with her husband freddie prince um but uh yeah uh cc hangs up um it, yeah because she's getting her a call from her friend she hears a noise from upstairs she steps outside tries calling the campus police um, but you know, those portable phones from the late 90s with the awful, awful reception, um, and she's not able to get through. So she walks back inside, and we get the jump scare of one of her sisters, uh, leaving late for the party. And that was supposedly the noise she heard upstairs. Um, but Ghostface, of course, running through the background while they're talking. Um, I always love those shots. I know they're cheesy as hell, but um, I think those are fun bits of the Scream series when you see Ghostface, but nobody else does. Just like scurrying in the background, mm-hmm. It's like how could you not? I know, I know, because it's this big billowy robe, right? Um, but you know, I just I think the costume design is perfect for that. To just it just always looks cool. Um, so yes, back on the phone. Um, with Ghostface repeating what her sorority sister had just said, Cece goes to turn on the alarm. Um, and then a few creaks from upstairs. Later, she knows that she's not alone, and the Ghostface is in the house. Um,
2: and let's see here. I don't know what I was typing here. She swings a foot aside but no one is there. I, I, oh,
0: I know what I was saying. She opens a door and there's nobody there. Okay, Um, that's got to be it. Um, Phone rings again, and when she answers, uh, Ghostface bursts out of a door behind her. Uh, She ducks under his stabbing motion, runs up the stairs with him in pursuit. (laughs) She reaches an upper floor, and this is where he just, throws her through a French door out onto a balcony and uh, stabs her in the back and then just heaves her over the side onto the ground. Um, it's a real shame because I, I, again, really enjoy her performance, and I felt like she was pretty tough, but she goes out pretty fast. Um, and, but brutally. I think they do up the ante with some of these kills in this movie, and uh there there is conversation about that a little bit later. Um <clears throat> uh but yes, uh she gets thrown onto the ground and we get Ghostface with the iconic uh cleaning of the knife uh with his glove. Um and then oh my god something's happening at the other sorority house everybody at the party they all pile out to gawk and see what's going on um everybody leaves except for basically sid and Derek. um we've got debbie salt out there trying to get a statement from the police and we got the whole i i love her interactions with gail because it's it's always her like trying to get something out of her, but also slightly gaslighting Gail too. I don't know how to describe it. Maybe, hmm, but the whole Gail,
2: you're just getting here. Um,
0: and there's
1: there's a, just go back to it, but there's a bit, um, just after she set the alarm, um, and she's walking through and there's a sign on the wall and it says like no something in the living room but the way it cuts and she's walking through it looks like it just says no living and i don't know if that was an intentional thing or not but i just i picked it up and i was like
2: is this like a kind of nod to like she's gonna die or oh yeah That, that that could be very likely um
0: that's neat. I never noticed that. I'll have to um, wind that yeah. back and take a look. I and mean,
1: when they're oh. in the, when they're at the other sorority, like when it goes back to the party, you don't you hear like sirens in the background?
0: Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. On their uh, way, right around the time when everybody's, um, yeah, yeah. And then they all leave to go check things out. Yep. Um, so, yeah, uh, Dewey's there as well, uh, outside and he's just there to be mean to Gail, I guess. Also to make us think that he could potentially be the killer, uh, cause they, they, they dive into that thing again, uh, with plenty of red herrings throughout this film, um, more effectively with some characters than others, because I feel like Dewey and Gail, are used over and over as potential killers in this film. Um, but yeah, he's just kind of there to be nasty to her. And then in turn, Gail is just ruthless with her cameraman because she doesn't want to take it out on Dewey. Um, and we cut back to the other sorority house where I, uh, you know, basically everybody's gone. Sydney and Derek are standing on the front porch, looking over at the other house. Uh, and she goes back inside, uh, to get her jacket at Derek's behest, mind you. Um, cause he's the one that says, Hey, go get your jacket. Um,
2: and this is where the landlines ringing in the house. And for some reason, Sid decides to pick it up.
3: You're muted. Keegan. Isn't this where he
1: leaves? And they're about to leave, and then it just starts ringing, and she just turns around and is like,
0: "Uh huh." He's walk- just standing like- out there with his back to the doorway. The do- front door is wide open. Uh, he's just waiting for her while he looks at the other house. The phone's ringing. She grabs her coach, puts it on, um, and yeah, she looks at him, turns back, and goes and picks up the phone, um, and. We get, you know, hello, Sydney, blah, blah, blah. Typical ghost face banter. Um And, you know, he's like, it's showtime. And she, you know, supercharged up, uh, screams back into the phone. Then why don't you show your face, you fucking coward. And the camera cuts to the front door, which is now closed with ghost face standing there, who says my pleasure. And he charges at her. Um, and she, yeah, basically, uh, Ghostface traps her in the house and he starts chasing her around. Uh, Derek doesn't even hear her screams until she's banging on the door. And we get the shot from the trailer where Ghostface plunges his knife through this door near his head. Um, here's the thing
2: it,
0: it, it's a sorority house. Usually, they're very old homes. Chances are that front door is a solid wood door. You're not plunging a hunting knife like that through a door like that. That's just not happening. Either that door got replaced with some kind of cheap fiberglass door that's meant to look like a wood door, or again, Ghostface is just supernaturally strong. I don't know but you know we see this over and over again in these movies and hey, it's just a little nitpick um but yeah uh derek's like trying to get inside and uh she escapes ghostface to the backyard and derek has just run around the house at that point and he finds her and for some reason makes the decision to go inside the house after ghostface um and Dewey shows up immediately after, and he goes in after Derek, and he sees blood on a you know the molding around a door, and he swings that open, and there's Derek on the ground with his uh his forearm slashed, and ghostface is gone um Dewey looks out the front door, which is wide open again, and there's uh the two main sorority sisters staring back at him um And, you know, he helps to, uh, patch, um, Derek up at that point. Um, and then uh, all of this again, in service of us trying to, you know, be misdirected as, okay, maybe Derek's the killer or, you know, possibly even Dewey still. But, um, yeah, yeah, I,
2: I think I do like their constant use of Derek as a possible killer in this film. Um, But you
0: think, you think they're not going to do it again, are
1: they? Right. Constantly.
2: Exactly. You're like, oh,
1: surely, surely not. It's going to be the boyfriend again. And you totally, if, if they did it, it would be like, you would totally believe it. But I like that. Obviously it way where it goes.
2: Mm hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it works. And, uh, Jerry O'Connell's, uh, very charismatic too. So he's fun to watch in the role. Um, and they cut to the hospital where, uh, Derek's getting patched up and the police are questioning the kids. And, um, uh, this is where we get Mickey, uh, consoling Sid, you know, letting her know that, Hey, we're all here for you, but in the same breath, he plants this idea in her head. Well, why did Derek go back in the house? And then we get him doing, you know, that kind of thing a few more times throughout this film too. So yeah, I, I just, it's interesting. Um, and then we're over with, uh, Derek and the doctor being like, yeah, we missed every you know artery, missed every nerve, you're lucky. And uh, you know, Dewey's like, no, or it's just more convenient. Um, and they kind of, you know, argue a little bit there. Um and then we're I think back at the police station where Gail is uh realizing that Cece's uh real name is Casey and then she's looking at the list of names on the board and everything's going in the order of the deaths in the original Woodsboro murders with Marine Prescott and then um Steven uh Casey's boyfriend and then Casey herself so they theorize that uh, Ghostface is targeting students with the same names as those original victims just as a way to mess with everybody and create a copycat killing um yeah, yeah. And this is, I think, Dewey and Gail starting to work together just a little bit more at this point. Um, also, why is she allowed in the police station? Is it just because she was involved with the original
2: murders? I mean, she's still a reporter. Why would they want her in there?
1: Because it's just... Gail I that's yes that's my only like explanation of like <laughs> because gail weathers okay <laughs> and she you know what she's like in this film like she doesn't hold back she probably talked her way into this
0: oh probably yeah yeah um i'm sure at this point Dewey's is also nasty to her again because that's kind of his mo throughout the bulk of this movie he's just really bitter about how things ended with them and uh how he's portrayed in the book um but I uh, feel like in
1: this movie they never
0: ever kind of like
1: until kind of the last half hour yeah. they don't kind of come together like they're always kind of they work together but then they also have the, they always have this fighting kind of bickering the whole way and then obviously at the end they kind of re- reconcile
0: mhm yeah
2: and um yeah I Yep. Yep. They absolutely do. Um, hand on boob. Um, but, uh, (laughs) um, ultimately, um,
0: yes, we, we cut to Sydney. I think it's the next day. She's got two detectives that are tasked to follow her and they're just kind of walking behind, um, Sid and Derek at a bit of a distance. Um, And this is where she kind of pushes Derek away a little bit, partially for his safety, but also because, you know, he's got, there's this little seed of doubt about him in her head. Um, you know, she's thinking about what Mickey said and, you know, it is weird that he went back in the house. And of course, You know, he was probably just trying to be the man's man and, uh, he's going to go after the killer. And, uh, they even comment about that while he's getting patched up, um, about how, you know, the nineties just aren't exactly a time for an action hero anymore. Um, I think it was Mickey that brought that up actually. Um. But yeah, she kind of pushes him away um, because he just wants to be there for her. Or so he says, because you keep getting these shots of his reactions to things and just the way he does react still makes you think, okay, he could be the killer. Um, I I don't know. Also, Jerry, uh, Jerry
1: McConnell, he has this, the same facial expression throughout the whole movie. His just face
0: (laughs) just looks the same throughout the whole movie. He's got Jerry O'Connell face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it works though. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's a handsome face, but like. Yeah, he's a good looking cat, right? <laughs> but but yeah. Um, yeah. Um, he, he does kind of have the same face. They're all have those scenes. You're right. You're right. <laughs> um, but yeah pushes him away. And um, then we uh, get Gail again, trying to reconnect with Dewey and he still pushes her away. And she's like trying to get a smile out of him. And you know, he's like, I'll smile when the killer's caught and um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Big tough guy there. Um, And then we get Mickey trying to plant seeds of doubt about Randy in the, when they're at the dining hall, getting their lunch. And everybody's like, Randy's fucking harmless. And you know, that's what they said about Ted Bundy and Jeffrey Dahmer. Um, and then, you know, Derek's a little miffed because Sydney sits down, you know, basically the opposite corner of the table away from him, even after he pulls out a chair for her.
2: And then he just starts pulling a top gun with, I think I love you. Um, not a good singing
0: voice, but um, there's good energy to this. It's seen in the movie. Yeah. I, I it's, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> I couldn't
1: remember if I was like, is this the one where they do this? And then I was like, oh yeah, it's because they're in the cafeteria. I was like, oh my god, I can't wait. But I thought, in my head for some reason, I was like, it, for. I just thought it was a whole singing and dancing number. <laughs> <laughs> even though it's it's not it's but it's
0: like for some reason i thought it was like going to be like a he jumps maybe on you're the thinking tables. like uh 10 things i hate about you or something like that where he jumps on the table like the whole
1: like room joins in and starts oh yeah like, everybody's clapping along
0: yeah um at, at least they do that but uh yeah, this is where um he hops down and he gives Sid his Greek letters on, you know, a necklace. Big um, no. Yeah, as a profession of love, but it's a major Greek faux pas, and Hallie's like, Oh yeah, his brothers are gonna absolutely kill him. Um, you know, but it's tradition. And Mickey's like, Oh, tradition. Yeah, it's it, I, I I like um Mickey's energy is fun throughout this movie. It's, you know, other than those, you know, on am subsequent rewatches. You, you definitely notice every time he's trying to push a particular seed of doubt or an idea at somebody. Um, but for the most part, his energy is a lot of fun. Um, so yes, uh, she accepts, they kiss, uh, you know, they're kind of, you know, back together again. Um, and then we cut to Tori Spelling playing Sid uh, and being interviewed, you know, as she always thought that, you know, she'd probably get Tori Spelling after everybody else gets far better actors playing them. Yes. It's Tori Spelling playing Sid in stab. Um,
2: and stab. It's Tori it,
1: Spelling playing Sidney uh, playing herself. Right. So she's, she's playing herself and Sydney,
0: which is, yes, Again, extra extra meta. Yep. Um and it's the scene playing on the TV of um Sydney running into Billy uh, the day after he's arrested at school and she's freaked out by him and he's trying to apologize, but also not apologize. And he's a bit of an ass and it ends with him smacking his forehead and calling himself stupid, just like Skeet Ulrich. And of course it's Luke Wilson, uh, with the stringy, uh, Skeet Ulrich hair. It's And they great. make him look like so emo as well with his hair and they're like, and he's like uh-huh. long black hair. And he's like, Sydney. <laughs> Uh-huh. Stupid. Uh it's perfect. It's so fucking perfect. Uh I can't remember if he's no, he wouldn't be in uh Stab 2, of course. Uh, I'm trying to remember what that cast is, but we'll find out next week. Um Yeah. Uh I just I love that little bit. And also, uh, I love it's Randy and Dewey. Uh they're getting some Baskin Robbins and they're discussing the rules of the sequel. And um you know, while this interview is playing on a TV above them. And uh, when uh, the scene is over, Randy's like, I'll wait for video. You know, <laughs> he's, he just doesn't care. He just doesn't care. He probably cares a little bit, but you know, he's pissed that his character is played by somebody that, uh, uh, was the stagecoach driver for, uh, uh Gene Seymour on Dr. Quinn medicine woman in one scene. Um, it's a nobody, but everybody else gets Tori spelling and Luke Wilson. Um, so Randy is laying out the rules of the sequel. Um, you know, for Dewey's education here, because that's where Randy sees things going with all this. So number one, the body count is always bigger. Uh, number two, the death scenes are always much more elaborate. And then he gets interrupted when he goes to rule three. So we never get rule three. Sorry. We'll never know. we will just, we'll never know. Um, but yes, they also accuse each other of,
2: um, potentially being suspects. Um is it
1: problems. when um Rand is it no uh, Dewey accuses Randy of being the killer and then Randy's like, but well, that also means well you if I'm be a suspect killer.
0: you can be a suspect. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and uh Dewey's got this well touché type look on his face. Um even though he doesn't say it, he should have said that. Um, and then <laughs> we're back outside. Joel is reading uh, Gail's book and realizing that the cameraman um, doesn't do so hot in the original story. Um, and this he's like little- on,
1: I love him so much. He's such oh, yeah. a good character.
0: He, he's all spooked out by that. And he's like, your cameraman got gutted." And she's like, he wasn't gutted. I changed that. He just had his throat slit. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> he, he, no he big like, deal. He feels like such the character
1: where it's like, you know, the, that kind of stereotypical, like white person in a movie, hears a, here's a noise. And is like, goes towards the noise or like, you know, and try, like does something. And he feels like the card is like stupid white people. I just run like type character where he's mm-hmm. like, Hell no. Like I just, well, he also brings
0: up that black folks don't fare well in horror movies, which was, you know, quite the trope up into that point and beyond, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, um, future spoiler spoilers. I really appreciate that he survives this film. Um, because after what they did to Marine and Phil at the uh, beginning of the movie, um, Yeah, it would have been awful if they killed him, too. For some Um, reason, I thought he did die. But then I was like. Nope. No, he just leaves. He just packs up (laughs) and takes off a little bit later in this film. He's like, fuck this. Uh, But uh, yes, at this point, Gale has convinced him to stick around, Um, you know, telling him it's national television and you're never going to get an opportunity like this again if you just take off. Um, And. We we cut to Sid uh, in a theater on campus talking to the director of her play uh, before they go on with the dress rehearsal. And I can't think of the actor's name, but he's great. And he plays um, this uh, therapist in In the Mouth of Madness at the beginning of that movie. He is awesome in that movie, too. Um, I also like his little line after he convinces her to continue with the role. Um, you know, she says to him, you're good. And he's like, there's no understudy. I'm desperate. It's (laughs) (laughs) he's just a college drama teacher. He probably gives two fucks about this play that they're doing, but, uh, you know, uh, he convinces her to stick around and we cut to dress rehearsal. This, uh, it's, um, A play about Cassandra, uh, you know, somebody uh, who's cursed to see the future, right? And you've got the Greek chorus behind her, which is awesome. I love a good Greek chorus. It's it's so much fun and you got uh, awesome costume design in this and also the, the Danny Elfman piece that he wrote for this because you know, why just use an awesome Marco Beltrami score when you can also bring in some Danny Elfman and it says in the
1: credits, it says Cassandra by Danny Elfman. And I was like, Mm -hmm. Oh, that's interesting.
0: Oh, and it's Danny Elfman as fuck too. It it definitely sounds like one of his pieces. Um, you you even get a little bit of choir in it too. It's awesome. Um, and the choreography
1: is great as well.
0: Oh yeah. Oh, it's It's super awesome. Um, I, I, would enjoy the shit out of a play like this, even if it is like a little, you know, rote and a little cheesy. Um, but it would look cool as hell and it would still be a fun watch. Um, So she's going through her, you know, uh, her lines. And, uh, like you said, there's a little bit of, uh, uh, fun choreography as the members of the chorus who are all robed and masked, uh, take turns with trying to kill her. And she starts seeing flashes of ghost face in the chorus. Now, uh, do you think she's just imagining this at this point, or do you think he's actually there? I think it's more just her imagining it because she's super stressed out.
1: I thought he was actually there because they run off at one point, but I don't know if that's just a kind of. Hmm. It could
3: it's, be. It's,
2: it really could be either. Because but it's hmm. still super effective. I don't know. It looks great. Um, <clears throat>
0: And she kind of has a freak out on stage when all this happens, also. Um, you know, neglected to mention that. But um she freaks out a little bit. The director, you know, tells them all to take five. Uh, she runs backstage and Derek swings by to escort her home. And she's like, wait a minute, Mickey was supposed to be here. So maybe Ghostface was there after all because Mickey swapped out with Derek. As you know, cause they're doing a buddy system thing, uh, to make sure that she's okay. And, um, you know, if Mickey swapped out, that would give him the opportunity to get in costume. You would just think that the other members of the chorus
2: would probably notice that there's somebody who's not supposed to be there. I don't know. Or maybe not. Maybe not.
0: Maybe they're all very self-absorbed. I don't know. Um, have but you yes.
1: ever, i was just say, have you ever been in a theater group because i have
0: no no uh i i was much more band focused but uh in high school <laughs> but uh as but, someone yeah. who's
1: been part of a few theater groups theater kids very self-absorbed
2: well yeah that that is kind of the stereotype right <laughs> Oh, you're muted there.
1: <laughs> I I mean, I was just gonna say stereotype. I mean, <laughs> it's real.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it it's it is. It is what it is. Yeah, makes sense. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, Sid's freaked out because Derek wasn't supposed to be there and she just had this freak out moment. So she kinda sends him packing.
2: Um he's um <sighs> he, I, uh, he's
0: a little offended by her reaction to him. Um, and says as much, um, but yeah, she's not having it and she just takes off. Um, I think the, the, the detectives are here as well. Cause I think they come charging down the, uh, the aisles when she has her freak out. Uh, so she probably leaves with them. um, but anyways, we cut from here to Dewey Randy Gale and Joel uh discussing the attack on Sydney and how it doesn't fit the pattern of uh the Woodsboro deaths. Um and then Joel just decides he needs a break and he's going to go get some uh donuts or Prozac or crack or something he says um and walks off. Um Fun little red herring there because, of course, immediately after he leaves, Ghostface calls them. And this is after this fun little bit where Gail shuts down two calls to her cell phone of like her producer or whatever trying to get in touch with her. And Randy picks up her phone and yells into it, uh, you know, telling whoever it is that, hey, she's fucking busy, okay? But it's Ghostface. And, um, they convince, uh, oh, I'm sorry.
1: Just this whole section is just so good. like, Oh yeah. When they're all search, they're all trying to find him, And they're like, Gail and Dewey are off together. And Randy's yep. like running about they're, daft. Like where the yeah. hell are you?
0: Yeah. They're, uh, leaving him on the phone as a distraction so that they can race around and basically tackle anybody who's on their own with a cell phone and the the one guy they get is clearly talking to his mom and it's like, Oh no, they just attacked me. Or, you know, uh, meanwhile, Randy is, um, you know, trying to keep the killer on the phone, but also try to, you know, have a good back and forth with him. And he's bringing up, um, you know, different college themed horror films, uh, like the dorm that dripped blood and, uh, stuff like that. And, he, he! at one point, is uh, horribly offended by Ghostface because Ghostface is uh, getting at him about how you're never going to get the girl. And Randy lets out the most Kevin Smith movie, fuck you, at Ghostface. Uh, he is pissed. Um, and he starts... Sort of pushing back at Ghostface like crazy at this point. Unfortunately, his back is to Joel's news van, and and the, and the door flies open, and he gets yanked inside, and he gets cut the fuck up. Uh, it is violent too, because there's a moment where his body's thrown against uh, one of the side windows, uh, shattering it. Um, and all the noise is covered by three people walking by with a giant ass 90s boombox it's
1: it's so funny it's just <laughs> like they come around the corner of the van and you just see them like dancing away and he's just like <laughs> it's just
0: yep yeah, and they don't notice that this van's a rocking or it's rather like- they do so they don't come a knocking and um uh, Yeah, Ghostface uh, pops out the other side and closes the door and scurries away. And you see the blood dripping out from the door on uh, the passenger side. Um, It's so sad. It is. It's Randy's such a. Oh, he's kind of like the heart of these films. To a certain degree, right? He's the super lovable character who knows all the rules and is basically telling the audience what's going on. And, you know, the person who gets everything that's happening that nobody listens to. Uh, So, yeah, sad to see him go, especially this early in the film. But uh, also, you know, it tells you, hey, it's a sequel. All the bets are off. Maybe that was the third rule that uh you know beloved characters are probably going to die uh you never know yeah because i couldn't
1: remember if it was this one or the next one that he died but then i remember it's his like stupid is it sister or something that's in the next oh that guy shows
0: up again in part five yeah (laughs) but uh yeah yeah uh So, yeah, Gail and uh, Dewey are still searching around, and they come back looking for Randy, and that's when Joel shows up with a big box of donuts, uh, which sounds so good right now. I'm not even kidding you. But, uh, yeah, uh, they open up the door, and Gail lets out this horrible scream. I'm pretty sure this part was in the trailer as well. Uh, I think the trailer totally spoiled Randy's death, if I'm not mistaken. Um, And we were all watching tiny little quick time trailers back in the day, you know, around 96 or 97. So, but I'm sure I would have watched this over and over again leading up to this film. Uh, It's a lot better now, isn't it? (laughs) Um, Let's see here. Uh, Oh, also um, with her scream. We get Joel passing out, and there's this lovely sound of him hitting the ground. It's great. <laughs> uh, cut to the library, and Sydney is being stalked by Ghostface via Instant Messenger. <laughs> Again, really dating this film, um, and of course, they're not using a specific one. It's not ICQ, it's not AIM, it's not you know uh, Microsoft. Uh, what was it? Instant messenger. I, I don't remember. But um, but yeah, uh, she gets freaked out because she can tell it's Ghostface, and she stands up, and the chair falls behind her, and the detectives come rushing in as they're you know searching around people's computers trying to find who's sending the messages. Um, and there was a very helpful student sitting next to her who mentions how it would have to be somebody logged into one of these computers sending that. So we know he's in the building. Uh, And as the detectives kind of pull her aside and just leave her, uh, Cotton pops up from around the corner. And, you know, Diane fucking Sawyer, he's trying to convince her to, you know, leave Gail in the dust and come do this interview in New York with him where they're going to get $10,000 each and a whole hour of national uh, evening news time. Um, And she doesn't want to have anything to do with this but cotton is like extra creepy and aggressive about all of this too so you know he's a pretty good red herring as far as things go in this film just from that standpoint he's also kind of a dipshit um i don't know he just he just makes the wrong
1: decisions yeah he's he's trying to do good but it's just like he doesn't it's like he just doesn't know how to deal with the situations correctly
0: yeah, I think a lot of it is also just him looking out for himself and wanting to, you know, get his 15 minutes and get his money because he feels, you know, rightly so because he was done really wrong uh, in the events before the first film. Um, also, $10,000, uh, <clears> that's quite a lot
1: for 1997.
0: Yeah, yeah. And t- that, that's the other funny thing people don't typically get paid to be interviewed. That's like not, a sure, like, no, no in journalism. Um, so that was weird, but you know, maybe ABC news was just that desperate for this interview at the time. I don't know. I don't know. You didn't really have Fox news popping off quite yet at that time. So, and CNN would have been the king of cable news right there. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, And this is where the police step in and they find him and, you know, they take him to the station to question him. Um, And they got nothing to hold him on or anything. This is the scene with David Arquette's dad in it.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Yep. And I think the detectives are there as well. Um, And they got to let him go. And
0: the decisions made, um, to take Sid and her roommate, Hallie somewhere safe. Ha ha. Um, and Joel, the cameraman, uh, you know, he's scared that he's going to be the next target at this point. So he's like, he says the tired and true, uh, uh, line of CEO wouldn't want to be at the gale as he storms off. This is very 1997 right there. Um, But uh, uh, yeah, Gail feels bad. She keeps saying that she feels bad to Dewey. Oh, did you know she feels bad? Um, And this is where they realize that Joel left all of his footage. And it's all this crowd coverage that he shot. And if the killer was there, you know, lurking and you know, watching them as he was talking to him, then he's got to be on the film. So they decide, okay, we got to find a fucking VCR and, uh, which, oh, I know why, because, uh, Joel's news van got impounded because it was a crime scene. That's why they can't use the news van to watch the footage. Okay. That makes sense. Uh I'm sorry. I'm just, you know, 25 years later realizing a plot point of the movie. um, but, uh, ultimately they, uh, decide, okay, we got to go find a VCR somewhere because we could find the killer here. Um, and as night falls on campus, they go to, um, I, what does the plaque say? School of film. It's, it's kind of cheesy sounding, but you know, they run into this building, um, <laughs> And they're looking around for an open door. They realize they're basically breaking and entering. Um, but they do find an open lecture hall and, uh, they run down the, uh, the stairs to the, the front desk there. And, uh, they find some AV equipment and they start looking through things. Um,
1: <clears throat> they find their
0: hard. Yeah. Just a little bit, just a little bit <laughs> bonk. Um, <laughs> but uh yeah um <clears throat> they started looking through that stuff and gail um uh, oh this yes as they find their horn <laughs> she said um they clunk heads because they're so stupid for each other um at least at least the one time, but possibly twice. And Dewey keeps apologizing for absolutely everything as they kind of stumble around each other. Uh, and it's clear they're just absolutely stupid in love with each other. And, uh, Gail apologizes to him for like the umpteenth time in this movie. And they finally kiss. And next thing you know, they're rolling around on that desk together, um, and making out. And ultimately, another video starts playing in the uh, in the lecture hall, and Gail notices right away, and she bolts upright with Dewey's hand still on her boob. Uh, <laughs> and she's like, "Dewey!" <laughs> he apologizes right away and yanks his hand back. It's so good, uh, but yes, they realize that somebody's up there in the AV booth. Uh, above all the seats and they see the ghost face mask in the tiny little window and um yeah i hate i hate to question it but Ow. how <laughs> how does
1: ghost face show live footage of them <coughs> on pardon me on the desk <clears throat> but it's in the vcr I mean, you have um, to not question it, but it's like,
0: well, I mean, it's a whole AV booth for a lecture hall. So I'm sure there's like a VCR up there where he's playing a bunch of his footage or, you know, cause we know who this is up there. It, you know, spoilers, it's Mickey, but, um, and he's got a little handheld camera, a little camcorder with him throughout a, the bulk of this movie. He's shooting a lot of stuff like, you know, lot of film students do um he probably has all this footage on a tape in that thing and he's obviously got it plugged into the av setup up there um and you could just you know shift over on one of those and broadcast what's being filmed
2: so that's probably how he's getting these shots maybe i was just thinking the technology was older than
1: what it actually is and I was just like yeah.
0: and, and maybe I just hand waved it away I don't know but uh but yeah y- you wouldn't be you wouldn't be uh wrong in thinking that yes all of the uh AV technology from back then was so old that you couldn't get away with shit like this but you could you could it was advanced enough um says the 43 year old man um <clears throat> But, uh, yeah, from here, Dewey goes charging up the stairs after Ghostface, uh, run up to that AV booth, and, uh, there's nobody there. And, of course, while he was running up, uh, if not Mickey, it's the other killer, because spoilers, there's two killers again, that pops up behind Gail and takes a stab at her. Um, <clears throat> And this is where Dewey basically falls down all of the stairs of the lecture hall. That can't feel good, especially, uh, with his uh, prior injuries and everything. Um, got, G- uh, Gail running through the hallways of the building with Ghostface. Ghostface in pursuit. Uh, she's trying all the doors. She finally finds one, uh, that leads her into a recording studio. Uh, she gets into the booth. And you know she's behind some soundproof glass, and that's where you know she just comes around a corner and sees Ghostface there. But he had his head turned, so he didn't see her. Um, and she, you know, quick jumps back, um, and she kind of uh, wanders deeper into um, the room. Um, <clears throat> and they're kind of chasing each other around the soundproofing, and it looks cool. You know, anytime you've got Ghostface. Kind of looking around and you know, just kind of wandering, you know, past you know, hallways or aisles or anything. It always looks it's, cool as hell. It's very cat and mouse at this part. Oh yeah,
1: like oh yeah. Um, and this is like the even second half, but like from when Randy gets killed, which is like the hour mark. The last hour is just this is my whole favorite part of the film. I think the first half is like, uh, it's. It's all right. But like the second half is like what really made it for me. This like the whole, especially the last half an hour and like the killers, but this whole cat and mouse. And then obviously what we'll get to with Sydney and yeah.
0: Yep. Uh, yeah. Things really pick up at this point for sure. Um, So yeah, they're chasing each other around the soundproofing and Gail steps into another room, which has its own set of soundproof glass. And um, Dewey steps in on the other side of that glass. Gail's got her back to it just so she doesn't see him. He walks up to it, starts pounding on it. I feel like even though the audio wouldn't come through, you'd still, because the glass is moving, you
1: yeah, would hear,
0: you
2: would you hear something.
1: Thing, but it's like, you see the glass moving when Dewey's banging on it, but then it cuts to Gail's side and the glass is like still.
0: Mm. And I'm like okay so a little continuity or thing- there so, yeah
1: so, is it like two sheets of glass or is it like really thick glass but it's like it's a bit like
0: i don't know but while he's pounding on the glass trying to get her attention ghostface comes up behind him and stabs the shit out of him and he's getting mashed up against the glass and his blood smeared everywhere and i think this is where he gets his hand on a button that keys a microphone. And she finally hears everything from the other room. And, uh, she watches as you know, her, uh, her flame here is supposedly killed in front of her. Uh, and she races over and locks the door just in time and Ghostface tries throwing a chair against the glass and it doesn't work. And she just backs up and cowers in a
2: corner. She's broken. It's, it's a shame. It's uh, yeah. But
0: uh, yeah, uh, we cut to uh, Derek saying his goodbye to Sid because she's about to leave with the detectives uh, who are going to drive her and Haley off to uh, safety. She kisses him um, and uh, hops into the car without a word. And he watches them drive off and we see a robed figure in the distance and we're like, oh no. But then there's more of them and it's clearly, um, yeah, not Ghostface at that point. And it's Derek's brothers from his uh, fraternity who are going to essentially kick his ass for giving away his uh, his letters. And uh, we get uh, Portia and Rebecca as well. They're, they're along for the ride because it's going to be a party and um yeah they take him to the theater uh where they uh tie him up to this uh star that was part of the play uh, and uh basically write all over him and spray him with beer and just torture him uh in a wonderful bit of hazing um i thought may- the no, i thought it was the the fr- the fraternity
1: people that tied him up for some reason i thought when you get later on i thought it was Mm -hmm. the killers that tied him up and like put him up there but yeah i completely forgot about this like whole the fraternity like doing this to him
0: Mm -hmm. and they're making a mess i mean there's beer spraying everywhere they're just dumping drinks on him and there's a party going on while all this is happening on the stage of sydney's play um Okay. Yeah, we uh, cut from here to uh, the cops driving the girls off and, you know, they ask them where they're going. And then the cop in the passenger seat, uh, he's like, hey, if we told you, we'd have to kill you. And then the cop who is supposed to be gay turns back and, you know, delivers the don't ask, don't tell line. And then immediately the his window is b- broken in and his throat is slashed by Ghostface. So yep, let's let's kill the gay dude. That wonderful
2: old trope. Um, this part doesn't hold up so well, does it? <laughs> um. Again,
0: this film and all of its 1997 glory. Um. So yeah, Ghostface uh beats the shit out of the other detective and uh throws him in front of the car. Uh the killer tries to run him down, uh but the cop ends up on the hood. He's like yelling at the girl's to get down so he can try to shoot the guy and Ghostface is weaving all over the road, uh sideswiping cars and uh everything and ends up crashing into a bit of construction and there's a big old pipe that runs itself right through the cop's head and through the window. Uh, but Ghostface has been knocked unconscious and a little bit, you know, because of course, Sid and Hallie are in the back of this police car. So they've got, you know, the grate and the doors don't open from the inside, but the pipe has caused the grate to come off of, uh, the frame. A little bit. So Sid's able to pull it back and get just enough of an opening where she can crawl into the front seat and she has to make her way over the, uh, the, uh, sweetly sleeping ghost face to try to get out of the car because they're, they're blocked on the other side by, uh, this construction. Uh, and as she's climbing over him, she, thinks about reaching for his mask to uh, pull it off
2: and see who it is and elbows the car horn. Um, nice move. Nice move.
1: I I don't know about yours. My head cannon is, I don't know how long he's knocked out for, but I'm convinced that he's playing um knocked out and he's like purposely letting her out.
0: I don't know because later we see quite a big bruise on this dude's head. But um, I, I think he's at least knocked out while Sydney gets through. I don't know about Hallie because Sydney tries to get the door open from the outside. It's locked, it just won't open. So uh, Hallie has to climb through as well. She really doesn't want to. She's able to help her out. Um, and they run away like they should. And then Sydney's curiosity gets the better of her. Stupid, stupid Sydney, because uh, she gets her friend killed. She has to go back to uh, see who the killer is. And by the time she makes it back to the car, Ghostface is gone, but has managed to run around all the construction and leap out behind
2: Hallie and stab the shit out of her. Yep. This horror is horror movie another, physics.
1: This is another white person making dumb decisions.
0: Oh yeah. Yes, yes it is. Which yes, is just yes. every
1: horror movie story anyway. Oh pretty much. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um Yep, yeah, Hallie goes down unfortunately. And Sid runs away uh with Ghostface uh probably cleaning the knife again like he usually does and <laughs> chasing after um <clears throat> and let's see here um this is where we cut back to gail leaving her hiding place and she steps out into the hallway and is grabbed by cotton and he's got blood all over his hands and you know he he makes a comment about how he found dewey and was trying to help him and she immediately thinks oh no you're the killer and so she runs and uh runs out of the building and finds Debbie Salt at a payphone uh calling something into um her newspaper and she just grabs the phone out of her hands and uh you know and tries to get the police or whatever and you know it's like the killer has gotten weary and uh we get uh Debbie's reaction of gotten weary? Um it's- someone
1: Even when I watched the first time, I was like, he was someone that I just, I was like, it's not him. I just, he was someone I never thought it was going to be.
0: Yeah. It's way too easy and it it plays off way too much like a red herring. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah. Uh, and they cut from there, uh, to, uh, yes, Sid, uh, running up to the, uh, theater, uh, where her play was uh, meant to take place and uh, somebody's inside starting up the music for the play and getting all the effects going and everything and kind of setting the mood. And I think the music kind of draws her in and she thinks, oh, great. Gus is there, my director. I can get help from him. And she enters the theater and she calls out for him a few times and um, she makes it onto the stage. And all of a sudden the music cuts out and there's a spotlight on her. And as she's running around the stage, you've got um, all the backdrops falling down and closing her in. Um, It's, I like this. It's fun and effective and it's great use of, um, you know, the, the, all the set dressing for the play that she was supposed to be in. Um, And as she's, you know, fully closed in, um and and there you do notice at this point there's this half hearted attempt with some of the the set dressing for the movie, not the play, of showing that, yes, a party took place here because there's like a solo cup, a can, and a bottle sitting by uh like on a table near a door that's locked, and meanwhile, this horrible mess that the frat and sorority made hazing the shit out of uh Derek got completely cleaned up. They were very responsible partiers. Um but there's a reason for the mm, the can and the bottle and the stuff to be there. We'll get there later. Um so yes, all of a sudden Derek drops down, still tied up. He's passed out. Uh he's got one of the um uh, masks on his face, the uh from the the chorus. Um And, uh, oh, even before this, Sid notices, uh, Derek's shirt hanging from something or other and the spotlight focuses on it and she almost gives it like a, you almost see her like give it a little sniff or something and she realizes it's him and, um, that's when Derek falls down, she unmasks him, sees the duct tape on his face, she rips that off and slaps him awake. And um yeah. This is where Ghostface arrives behind her, and probably with another surprise, Sydney, something like that. It's kind of the iconic line,
2: right? Um but takes the mask off and it's Mickey. I don't know. You're muted, Keegan. No, I was
0: just gonna do the hello, Sydney. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, he drops the voice changer because don't really need that anymore with your mask off. Um, and I, I don't remember because this is so many years ago at this point. If I was like really surprised that it was Mickey or not at this point, um, unfortunately, having seen the movie several times, it's you know you're just going to watch it to pick up on the little hints throughout things. But yes, uh, Mickey reveals that yes, he is the killer, but he's gaslighting the shit out of her to make her believe that Derek is the other killer. And, uh, Derek is protesting and he's getting pretty fired up for somebody who's mostly naked and tied up and, uh, unable to fight back. Um, um, and yeah, Mickey just shoots him in the chest.
3: <laughs> he goes down pretty
0: quick too, as one does when they're shot right in the chest. Uh, he says some, you know, kind final words to Sydney about, you know, how he never would have hurt her. And uh, then he's so. And it turns out that Mickey intends to kill Sydney and allow himself to be arrested so that he can blame violence in movies for the murders at his trial and then end up getting, you know, fame and notoriety because of all of that. Um, isn't there something in the classroom at the beginning
1: when they talk about, um, violence in movies? Yeah. I I can't remember if it's him that brings it up and I want to say it was, but it's like, This is a
0: very late nineties, well, very nineties conversation actually about the influence of media on, you know, particularly children and teenagers. Um, and this would hit a fever pitch about two years later with the Columbine shootings where the matrix and, uh, the music of Marilyn Manson was all, um, you know, brought to the forefront of why all this happened. Uh, not just easy access of disturbed kids to guns. Now, now that that would be too easy. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Mickey wants to blame, um, all this on everything that happens. And he talks about how, you know, he's going to get, uh, he mentions, uh, OJ Simpson's lawyers by name as his own lawyers. Uh, and he'll get freaking Bob Dole on the stand and, uh, the Christian coalition paying for his defense. Um, and while he's blathering and rambling about all of this, we get this awesome, awesome bit of Sydney, uh, with Derek's, uh, Greek letters, getting them ready. And then she takes this swipe at his face with it and, uh, kicks him and knocks the gun away and everything. And man, she almost gets the gun and, uh, gets the upper hand here. But after they fight a little bit, um, they're right back to Mickey with the gun and,
2: Yeah, yeah. Although I just, I I, I love the thing with the the necklace. It's so good. But
0: uh, let's see here. Mickey gets the gun back. And then uh, all of a sudden, Derek's body gets lifted up. And he's all, oh, who could that be? Um, Because yes, yes, after all, there was a second killer. He has an accomplice. And the door opens and Gail steps in. And of course Sydney's like, oh, Gail, no. But no, she's just followed by uh Debbie Salt uh holding a gun on her. And This um, is Loomis? Uh-huh. And uh and Gail's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, I've seen all sorts of photos on you. And Sydney's like, Yeah, but this is like 60 pounds and a lot of work done later. Uh <laughs> it's a great fucking line. Um <laughs> But, uh, Lewis is, um, you know, um, she's pissed. She's pissed. Sydney killed her little boy and, uh, she's going to get her revenge. Uh, but I, I, again, love the fake out with Gail entering first. Um, and this is where Mickey talks about again, all the wonderful fame and everything that's going to come from his trial. And she says, Oh, Mickey, there's not going to be a trial. And then she betrays him and shoots him. And as he's going down and Gail's trying to run away, he kind of reflexively pulls the trigger of his gun and catches her in the gut. Um, And I think Loomis says uh, some kind of a line about two birds with one stone or something like that. Um, You also notice she's not particularly great with the gun. She's just kind of using it out of necessity. Um, you know, her shots are a little wild. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Now she starts doing the villain monologue stuff with Sydney. I'm sure Sydney's getting really tired of people monologuing at her. Um, but but they all want to do it um, because they want her to know why they're doing it. Right. That's the plight of every villain. Um, she reveals that she's seeking revenge against Sydney for killing her son, Billy. But Sydney points out, you know, the hypocrisy of her motive here, um, you know, because, hey, hey, you abandoned your kid. That's why he was fucked up the way he was. Uh, and you know, what did she say? Something about, Hey, was that a disparaging remark against my son? Um, yeah. (laughs) And, uh, as they're kind of going back and forth and, uh, Loomis is sort of backing her up against a wall, uh, with the gun, Sid pulls one of those, Hey, look over there type things, uh, saying, Hey, isn't Mickey supposed to be dead? And this is where the bottle comes into play because she crashes that over uh, uh, Mrs. Loomis's head uh, and gets behind this uh, wood door and throws a beam across it. And you get Loomis firing away at it and missing her with every shot. Um, and uh, Loomis is watching through one of the bullet holes as Sydney goes and grabs his fire axe, and, uh, and she she got the idea because one of the bullets clips a cable that's holding up uh, something or other that falls down onto the stage, and so she starts slashing away at all the different ropes, and you've got lighting rigs and other bits of set dressing just falling all over the place. Uh, is this where all- she?
1: She like kind of shakes the thunder things as well. Oh yeah. Like the, She's firing up, up all the
0: picture. stuff with the music and the lights and everything else. Cause she wants to make this a horrible experience for Loomis. She wants to add confusion to the situation and uh, you get, you know, Luma's trying to get out of there, trying to scale some of the set and then all these foam blocks come falling down on top of her. And You know, it's while sure they're, they're not stone, they're still going to be relatively heavy. Um, and she falls a decent ways and it looks like she gets buried by them, but Sydney takes off through the backstage and, uh, Loomis jumps in with a knife after her and, um, you know, they're fighting and rolling around and stuff. And, uh, Uh, basically, uh, Loomis has the upper hand, but that's when, uh, gunshot rings out and cotton steps onto the stage. It's like, how many more special guests can we possibly have in, uh, this ending here? Um, it's the finale. Yeah, Yeah, I guess. Uh, (laughs) let's bring everybody out of the woodwork. Hey, where's Sid's dad? You know, we could bring him in too. Um. But ultimately, yeah. Cotton has no idea what the fuck is going on. He's been having an awful day and he wants some answers. Um, you know, Debbie's got the knife to Sydney's throat and, uh, she's kind of using her as a shield and cotton, you know, is like stepping around all the carnage, uh, keeping the gun trained on him. And it's very clear whose side he's on. Uh, he's, Sort of, you know, hamming it up a little bit for Loomis to, you know, give the situation time to play out a little bit here. And, um, he mentions Diane Sawyer again, I think. Um, and let's see here. This is where Sydney, um, agrees basically to do the interview. Uh, what does she say? Consider it done. And, um, Uh, gotten just blows Loomis away, hits her in the shoulder, but she goes down like she's dead. Um, Sid gets up. They, uh, have a quick little conversation. Cotton apologizes for, you know, being weird. Um, and she just takes the gun from him. (laughs) She's like, whatever, dude. (laughs) But, um, um, they, uh, kind of poke at Loomis a little bit uh, to see if she's dead. And this is where a hand pops up from the, uh, the orchestra pit. And it's, it's Gail. She's still alive. And, uh, God's like, you scared the shit out of us as they're pulling her up. He's like anybody else down there with you? How did she not die from like smoke inhalation? I don't know. That's a, it's a good guy. Uh, that's a good question. um, But, uh, yeah, she, she has survived. She even makes the comment that it just bounced off of her ribs. Okay. (laughs) I think you'd be in agony still, but whatever. Um, so I think this is where Gail asks for one of the guns. I don't know why. But probably just so that they can get the next shot because they're talking about whether or not Loomis is dead. And Mickey just pops up behind them all. Ah! And they both turn around and super aggressively blow him away while Cotton's like ducking and like, oh, shitting the situation. Um, and then uh, he's down on the ground. Sid just walks over to Loom- Loomis and just calmly puts one bullet right in her forehead, just like her son. And um, God, what's her line here? Uh, She just says very calmly, just in case and shrugs and walks off while everybody's got their mouth hanging open. Um, That's something I feel like they should all get their stories straight about before talking to the cops, because that might not play well for her. I don't know but uh eh, nobody else saw it so we're good we're good um so we're back outside morning has come uh <laughs> and the, the the police are uh and the the paramedics they're getting Dewey out of there he's still alive and he's totally out of it he's got an oxygen mask on and joel shows up and he's like putting the microphone in Gail's hand and he's got his camera on her and he's trying to give her her motivation and she sees Dewey and she just hands the mic back and runs off. She's elated to find that he's alive still. And, um, somehow, it, somehow, oh, there, there's an off the cuff remark about how, uh, there was uh, old scar tissue from his prior injuries
2: that saved his life. Sure. <laughs> Whatever, but clearly Dewey is more important to her than getting
0: this story at this point because she hops into the ambulance with him. It's it is revealed that Gail has a heart of gold. after Character all. growth, yes, yes. It's uh, you, you love to see it. Um, so yeah, and they uh, cut to all the reporters. Um, you know they're um, trying to get a word from Sydney. And she just directs them to cotton, you know, like he's the real hero. He's the reason why we're all alive. Still, you know, basically throwing him a bone and he just tells everybody, Hey, 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 there's a time and a place and a price for my interview, uh, and just hands him a card and they're all whining about it. And then it also, Sid just kind of walks off into the sunset as some late nineties, collective soul plays here. Um, With a weird camera show. Yeah, yeah. And and that's a really common in films of this era. It's just that, you know, helicopter shot pulling away, right? Because they wouldn't have had drones back then. But uh, but why are the cops not questioning anybody involved with any of this? Everybody's just free to uh, let the reporters in, let them come on in. We don't need to question these people right away. No, none of that. Not at all. Um, yeah, it's just weird. Um, but yeah, she just kind of walks off and that's that. And the credits start and, um, we get through a healthy dose of credits before we get that final, uh, little stinger of ghost face images and another title card of scream Two, And then we go on to, you know, credits in earnest with a less
2: than Jake cover of, I think I love you. And that's it. Credits.
1: The only thing that puts me off these films is Harvey Weinstein. Oh, big time. And it's, and it's like Oh, it's just it's so upsetting.
0: It is because there are so many films
2: out of the 90s and early aughts that we would not have without them. But also fuck that guy. Yeah.
0: Um yeah also during the credits we get um all those um you know character shots along with the actors names uh which is always fun I love fun. those I I love when they do that I I don't know that they do that with all of these movies um I guess I'll find out in the coming weeks because I don't remember um but I felt like they brought it back in a way in Scream 5 um I don't know, but that's fun. It's, it, it speaks to a certain time period of film for sure. Um, but yeah, we, we, uh, go from that piece of music to, I think a Weezer song and we end up with some master P, uh, so some very, very late nineties hip hop there. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's scream Two. Uh, (laughs) this fucking movie. (laughs) It's, it's
1: wild, right? But it's, I know I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. Yeah. It's,
2: I will
0: say it's fun. Is it my least favorite scream movie? Yeah, it is. I actually enjoy the others quite a bit more, but it's still a fun ride. Uh, there's all sorts of cool stuff that happens, uh, among the less than cool stuff. Um, I'm, I'm sure there's stuff that I can pick out in the third film that, uh, doesn't hold up super well either, but, um, you know, you kind of have to go along for the ride with some of these things. I sure. think,
1: I think it's the, the, the killer's motivations that are quite strong for me. Yeah. Um, the Mrs. Loomis, obviously that makes sense because of yeah, revenge. Yeah. Yeah. The revenge. Like, cause when I watched that for the first time, I was like, oh shit, like that is great. It's- mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. But- it's surprising that it's her. Um, Yeah. Laurie Metcalf is great. If you've never gone back and watching any old episodes of Roseanne, she was always so good on that show. And, uh, she was riding
2: a big high from that. And then, um, isn't she the mom and Ladybird? Pretty I'm sure she is,
0: but regardless, she's a great actress. She's, um, I, I think a little underutilized, but, uh, she's great. Um, it's, it's a hell of a cast in this movie. um, Again with Sarah Michelle Geller and and yeah, Gee, that was the him. Yeah, yep, and Omar Epps and uh yeah, yeah, I, I can't think who the actor is that plays Joel because I don't remember what else he's been in. Um but that was always the thing with the Scream movies. So much of the cast, they are people that are known. And you know, because horror films are famous for having a lot of unknowns and you know, they, there's probably a little bit less of a draw because of that. Um, but it's probably part of what made the original scream such a big success because people were like, Hey, I know those people. Let's go see this movie. And then the same with this sequel, because the first one did so well, this one I think did slightly better, maybe in the box office. It, the numbers are at least pretty similar, but, um, yeah, yeah, it's a fun romp. Do I like it as well as some of the others? No, but, um, but yeah, there's a lot of fun stuff. Like you said, all the theater stuff is super cool. Um, I, I appreciate all the, uh, the film studies stuff too. Um, it's, it's cool. Awesome. Pregnant pause. Thanks Keegan. Um, <laughs> but, uh,
1: Those kind of funny pauses where like, you know, Greg likes to do where he likes to do the pause and it makes, keeps people on their toes. That's what we're doing.
0: Yep. Absolutely. That, that, that was exactly what happened there. Uh, it's not that we, uh, you know, have put everything out here on the recording and we have no more final thoughts on scream Two. No, not that at all, but seriously, Keegan, any final thoughts on scream Two?
1: It was, it was fun to watch it again. Um, and yeah i didn't necessarily love it as much as i did but i still thoroughly enjoyed it and i'm i'm really interested now to go back and watch the others um yeah after watching this one to see how
0: those compare i think it's a lot of fun to be able to watch them all you know fair with close proximity to each other just because yeah. um you know you get um you get a little bit more out of it when you're watching a series like that. Um, There's something to be said about, um, you know, the distance between some sequels uh, and how, you know, if you haven't seen it in many, many years, the original, before you move on to a new film in the series, how the nostalgia factor plays in a bit. But, But yeah, being able to binge a series of movies pretty close together is always fun. Um there's a reason why we do it. But uh Keegan.
2: That was Scream too if you'd like. Where can people find you?
1: Um, you can find me on Twitter at Keegan K Hill. Um you can find me on letterbox because I use that a lot. Um if you search Keegan Hill up, you'll probably find me. Um yeah, that's probably more where I am on things. Um, so the letterbox, some fo- more followers on there because um, I like to see what people are watching. Gives yeah, me that's ideas. always fun. Absolutely, um, yeah. love um, love seeing what people are liking or hating or mm-hmm. what their reviews are. Um, yeah, and I love getting ideas on what to watch on there because sometimes, I mean, I've got so much I need to watch, but sometimes oh, yeah. it's like I'm not in the mood to watch that, so I'm like, is there something else that I can maybe find? So yeah, I love seeing like for yourself or. I don't know, friend of the show, Madeline or Tim, um, mm-hmm. I'll be like, oh, I'll add that to oh, the th- list.
0: Yeah, those two are always watching cool stuff. Uh, give Freddie Nudie uh, a follow, um, just because he's been getting into some older films lately and it's fun to see his, uh, his uh, takes on those. Uh, I've been trying to use Letterboxd a bit more this year. I-, I tried to jump in last year and I just didn't keep up with it. I this this is my year where anytime I see a movie, I need to make a post about it. Not just from being more involved with it, but so that I have a catalogue of what I've actually seen. Uh, because that's very useful later on in the year. Um, yeah,
1: it's it's good for um going and looking back to see like mm-hmm. what you thought of things. Like sometimes you kind of forget what I was like, oh did I like that? And it's, yeah it's good to go and see what you wrote even if you i don't really i don't do like massive in-depth reviews on it i just kind of oh, say like a couple of thoughts on like um i did Meg and i just like recently saw that and i was yeah. like just like dumb thoughts on the movie rather than like oh this
0: is kind of this comment on was dumb thoughts reviews. on a dumb movie that's also yeah. fun as hell <laughs> yeah, super absolutely. fun yeah um um god we need more of that in our lives for sure because that was megan 2.0 in
1: 2025 so
0: there you go there you go yeah bring the camp bring the camp because I'm all I'm here for it. Uh, so yeah, yeah, people go check out Keegan on Letterboxd and Twitter if you can stand Twitter these days. I know it's a little rough at times, but uh... this has been Murders with Mertens, a horror film podcast. Thank you for letting us tickle your ear holes. Please like, share and subscribe if you are so inclined. I'll be back soon enough with another episode. But until next time, stay spoopy, everyone.